Amen. You guys sounded great today. You're letting it rip on that last one. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Good job. Do you have your Bible this morning? Good. Hebrews chapter 9 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one from the pew rack there in front of you so that you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, we started into a section of Hebrews that examines the superior sacrifice that Jesus makes of himself on our behalf as our great high priest. Before getting into that discussion, though, the author of Hebrews took a minute to explain the setup of the tabernacle and the work that took place there in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant system, all of which, all of those details, all of that setup foreshadows, anticipates the superior work of Christ on the cross, helps us to look ahead to him. As we looked at that Old Testament tent, all of the rules that surround it, we saw these three big lessons. First, God wants his people to approach him. The invitation is clear, especially when we transition into the new covenant. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The invitation is clear. God wants his people to approach him. But secondly, we said that God sets the rules of the approach. Never have you just been able to approach the throne of God in any way that you wish. In the Old Testament, there were all of these rules and sacrifices and places that were significant. But even in the New Covenant, there is only one way to approach the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. Only by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, do we have access to the Father. So he wants us to approach him, but he sets the rules of that approach, and there is no other way. We said in summary last week that there is only one door into the presence of God. But that only door, the only door, is an open door. And we want to enter. And so we invite you to enter into the only door to the presence of God, Jesus Christ, by repentance and faith come through that door. And if you have entered that door, if you've repented of your sins and are repenting of your sins, if you've believed in Jesus and are believing in Jesus, then you need to look and invite other people to come through that open door. You need to be inviting others to enter into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to get into the discussion of the actual sacrifice of Jesus. We'll see it compared and contrasted with two familiar old covenant sacrifices, at least familiar to Jewish people in the first century, maybe not so familiar to us today. Here the author will follow a familiar pattern in Hebrews. He's not going to say the Old Covenant was bad, the Old Testament is bad, those sacrifices are bad, and the New Covenant is good. That's not the way he approaches this. He's going to say, as he has so many times already, the Old Covenant was good. It was effective for what it was intended. The Old Covenant was good, but Jesus is better. We're going we're gonna to see the greatness of this Old Testament sacrifice of bulls and goats. The Old Testament sacrifice of a red heifer that was able to cleanse the flesh. But Jesus is better because he's able to cleanse by his blood our conscience. Not just the outside of us, but the inside of us. Jesus is better. So the Old Covenant was good, but the New Covenant is better. That sacrifice of bulls and goats is good, but the sacrifice of Jesus is infinitely better. Amen? And that's what we celebrate on this day. So check it out in Hebrews chapter 9. We'll look at verses 11 through 15 today. We're not going to so much study 15 today as we will next week, but I want you to see it uh, so that you get some context. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, this is what God says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Let's pray together. God, we are uh, very thankful this morning for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. The blood of Jesus Christ that washes us, that cleanses us. Not just our bodies, not just our flesh, not just on the outside, but cleanses us deep down within. In our hearts, in our consciences, you make us clean. By grace, as a gift, you make us clean. We are thankful that the blood of Jesus was shed once for all. And that through his blood, he has obtained for us eternal redemption. We pray as people who have received that redemption, we pray that you will help us to enjoy it today, appreciate it today, savor it today, and delight in it today. And that as we leave this place, we will proclaim eternal redemption by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. And God, we pray for men and women and boys and girls who are in this room today who are are lost. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're hopeless. They are defiled. Their flesh and their conscience defiled. We pray today that you will clean them in a way that only you can forevermore for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so look at, at verse 11. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit difficult in this passage in particular here in chapter 9 to follow the tenses and the perspectives of the, of the text. Um, part of that is because the original hearers, the original recipients of this letter, lived in a period of transition. Uh, the Old Testament temple was still standing in Jerusalem. Sacrifices were still being made there. This was still an active, ongoing process. And these people to whom this letter was originally written all grew up in that system. They're very familiar with that system. And they have left that system to trust in Christ, but they're still in this transitional period. And so that's part of why it's difficult to discern the perspective and the tenses of the verbs in this passage. But I'll boil it down like this. During the Old Testament times... Those people were living under the old covenant, but they were always looking forward to the day when the new covenant would be brought in. They were always looking forward to the promise of a new covenant, a better covenant, a time when the word would be written in their hearts, when they would be given a new heart, the heart of stone be taken out and the heart of flesh put in. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. They were always looking ahead to that. When Jesus came, he ushered in that new covenant by his death burial, and resurrection. So in this verse, 
it says Christ appeared in the context of the old covenant as a high priest of the good things to come. But what we need to understand is he is the good thing to come. He is the one that everyone has been waiting for since God made covenant with Abraham, since he made covenant with Moses and the people of God and the law. They've always been looking forward to the coming of Christ. And in this text, he's here. All right, so that's what we need to celebrate. So from our perspective, all of this is happening in the past tense. We are, we are living in the days of the new covenant. We are living in the days of the promised eternal salvation. Jesus is here. He's died. He's been buried. And he's risen again. And so we see all of this as the period of time that, that we live in. So... A little bit confusing there in verse 11, really in 1 through 11, about the tenses. But notice it says, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he he ushered in this period of eternal redemption. It says he entered, the text says, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. We talked about the earthly tabernacle a lot last week. In fact, I think we want to put that, that picture back up on the screen. And when we talked about the structure of the earthly tabernacle last week, we talked about how the Holy of Holies was the home to the very presence of God, that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, behind the veil, within the tabernacle proper. It is the place where the very presence of God dwells. And in order to access his presence, in order to come into his presence, that was only allowed once a year, and only one guy. In order for him, the high priest, to come into the presence of God, he had to bring the blood of a bull and a goat. We'll look at that more closely in in the next verse. We shouldn't, as we read this verse, verse 11 of chapter 9, we shouldn't assume that there's an actual building in heaven that looks like the tabernacle. I think think sometimes we read this passage and we read it a little bit too literally, as if somewhere in heaven there's a tent that looks like this, that's structured like this. Rather, I think we should see this as communicating that Jesus went into the very presence of God. This, This is what the tabernacle was always meant to symbolize and show, was the very presence of God, especially that most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. And so when it says that Jesus went into the heavenly holy of holies, I don't know that he actually passed through a physical building to do that. But what Jesus did is he came into the very presence of the Father on our behalf to make a way for us to come into the very presence of the Father. That's what's going on in this text. Notice in verse 12. It says, he he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's so much good stuff here. If If you don't pay attention to any other part of the day, pay attention to verse 12. Pay attention to verse 12. It is so important. Remember. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, once a year. And in order to do that, he had to make several sacrifices before he went. One of those sacrifices uh, was for himself and his own sins. And other sacrifices he made were for the sins of the people. And they involved uh, at least one bull and at least two goats. So three animals at least had to die. Actually, two of them died. The other one was kind of smacked on the rear end and sent out into the uh, desert to bear the sins of the people away, to carry the sins of the people away. Read about this in Leviticus 16 if you're interested. We've talked a lot about this already over the last few weeks. So these animals had to die in order for him to come into the presence of God. So he could not, let me repeat, he could not come into the presence of God without blood. 
Blood was, was required for access into the presence of God. We talked about that at great length last week. So the high priest is able to come in once a year with blood. But notice the text says, when Jesus goes into the heavenly holy of holies, when he enters the presence of God, he too takes blood. But not the blood of bulls and goats, he goes with his own blood. In other words, when Jesus goes into the heavenly presence of God, he doesn't take the blood of some disconnected animal. He takes his own blood. He goes by virtue of his own death in our place. Notice that the blood of Jesus is better blood. Better than the blood of bulls and goats. Notice what it says in the text. It says, with his blood, he entered once for all. With the blood of Jesus, he entered once for all. With the blood of bulls and goats, one fella could enter once a year for a little bit of time. And only for now, right? It wasn't access really to the presence of God. It wasn't a dwelling in the presence of God. The blood of bulls and goats would get you 10 minutes. 10 minutes, one guy in the presence of God. The blood of Jesus, once for all. Once for all, his blood is superior. Notice also that with his blood, he obtained eternal redemption. It says that in the text. This has been God's design from the beginning. God was never interested in giving his people an endless supply of band-aids, so to speak, which is really what the old covenant system was. They had a wound, and he gave them an endless supply of band-aids to put on that wound. Offer this sacrifice, and you'll you're essentially be good for another year, but come back next year, and, and we'll do another sacrifice, and I'll give you a fresh band-aid. I had a good friend who had a wound that was like that, a wound that was seeping, a wound that was producing just a massive amount of stuff that would come out of it. And uh, he had been to the doctor a few times, and they couldn't really figure out what was going on. And in the meantime, he just kept putting a Band-Aid on it. Just put a Band-Aid on it, and it would soak up that Band-Aid, and then he would just get another Band-Aid and put on. And this guy did this for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, and that was keeping it under control, right? No, it was disgusting. (laughs) It was absolutely disgusting. It never fixed the problem. Sure, it would keep it from soiling his pants and messing up his socks, but it wouldn't ever fix the problem. So what did he need? He needed a better solution. He needed a true fix to his real problem. His problem wasn't that he had stuff coming out of his leg and rolling down his leg. The problem was he had an infection deep down in his knee and had to get someone who could go in there and really fix it. And that's always been God's design. God's design was not just to give us a Band-Aid that would fix us on the outside for a little while. His design was always to find the root of the problem and fix it there. And he has done that not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of his own son. He has obtained eternal redemption for us through the blood of his son. Not annual redemption. Eternal redemption. The blood of Jesus is better. John MacArthur says this word for redemption is only found here and in a couple of places in Luke. But its original usage outside of the Bible was for the release of slaves by payment of ransom. This word is this picture of someone going in and purchasing out of slavery one who was bound, one who was owned. And he made a massive payment in order to give that person freedom. That's what Jesus has purchased for us in his own blood, eternal redemption. Charles Spurgeon says this, this is gold, it's on the screen. Charles Spurgeon says, I love that expression, eternal redemption. 
A redemption which really does redeem and redeems forever and ever. If you are redeemed by it, you cannot be lost. If this redemption be yours, it is not for a time or for a season, but it is eternal redemption. And let me tell you this. If you have received that gift of eternal redemption, that should delight your heart today. To to know that it's not for a time, it's not for a season, it's forever and ever and it cannot be taken away from you. Jesus has purchased your freedom by his blood and no one can bind you again if you belong to him. If you belong to him. And maybe that's the question of the day. So it says that when Jesus entered the Holy of Holies, he did it not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer... Sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. So when we talk about the superiority of the blood of Jesus, does that mean that the blood of bulls and goats and all that stuff in the old covenant was useless? That it was meaningless and futile? No, it doesn't mean that it was useless and meaningless. No, it was really good. In fact, it accomplished something really good. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, it did something really good. Right, It provided for cleansing of the flesh. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that it was good, but the blood of Jesus is infinitely better. Up to this point, as we've been studying through Hebrews, we have focused most of our attention about Old Covenant sacrifice on the Day of Atonement sacrifice, where the bull is offered, and then there's one goat who receives the sins of the people. This is Leviticus 16. I hope you're familiar with it at this point. One goat, the high priest lays his hand on that goat and and essentially transfers the sins of the people to that goat. And then he smacks it on the bottom and it runs out into the wilderness to take away the sins of the people. But the other goat is slaughtered and his blood is taken in to cleanse the, the elements of the temple and the holy place and the most holy place in particular. His blood is used. We've talked a lot about that day of atonement sacrifice that happens once a year. But he mentions here another sacrifice. He mentions the ashes of a heifer. And you can read about this in Numbers Numbers chapter uh, 19, I believe it is. Yeah, Numbers chapter 19. There was this red heifer, and I'll give you a long story short about this. This red heifer was raised, and it was cared for, and then it was sacrificed and burnt. And the ashes that were produced as that red heifer was burnt were taken in a container and cared for very carefully. They were protected very carefully. And occasionally, when somebody from the nation of Israel was defiled, maybe they touched a dead body or they were in contact with some kind of impurity and they needed to be made ceremonially clean again, they would go out to where that jar of ashes was kept and they would take just the smallest little bit of the ashes of that red heifer and they would mix it up with some water. Um, some, some special ritual water. They would mix the ashes of the heifer with the water, and then that mixture would be used in a ceremonial cleansing that would make this person who was defiled undefiled in a ceremonial sense. So they would use that mixture of the ashes of a red heifer in order to make someone clean on the outside so that they could come into the temple and participate in worship. Does that make sense? Have you ever heard of that before? That the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water was used to cleanse the outside of a person so that they could worship God in the temple. Uh, John MacArthur said, 
that in the history of Israel, it said that only six red heifers were ever killed. Only six times did they kill the red heifer and their ashes used. One heifer, uh, John MacArthur says, one heifer's ashes would suffice for centuries since only a minute amount of the ash was required for the cleansing. I want you to notice that the author of Hebrews doesn't say that these sacrifices do not or cannot cleanse the flesh. He affirms that they do indeed cleanse the flesh. He is affirming that there is a certain effectiveness of the Old Testament sacrifices in order to cleanse the flesh. What he is saying is ultimately that's not what people need. That ultimately people don't need their flesh cleansed. That what we have is a deeper problem that the old covenant could not solve. The cleansing that happened through the blood of goats and calves and red heifers couldn't go deep enough to truly fix our problem. Our problem is not that we have dirty flesh. Our problem is not that we are dirty on the outside. Our problem is that we are dirty and dead deep down inside of us and we know it. We know this. We cannot ultimately deny that we have a problem way down deep inside of us. Sure, we can try to ignore it by various means. We can try to cover it up in various ways. But we know in our darkest moments of life, in our most honest moments of life, we know that we are dirty deep down on the inside, right? We may try to fool ourselves and we may try to fool others, but we have a deep problem. This is why Jesus is constantly so frustrated with the Pharisees. In the New Testament, in the Gospels in particular, he is frustrated with those guys because they seem to get it all right on the outside. He describes them at one point as whitewashed tombs. He said, oh, you're so pretty and pristine on the outside. You've managed to clean up the outside. Trouble is, it's nothing but a dead corpse on the inside. And Jesus says, I didn't come to whitewash tombs. I came to raise the dead. And only Jesus can do that, right? So, the author of Hebrews is saying, indeed, the old covenant and its sacrifices provided a certain cleansing, but it was not the cleansing that people ultimately need. Raymond Brown, I think this will be on the board, said, man needs not ritual cleansing, but a purified, healed, and clear conscience. He wants peace with God and peace from God, and the law could not achieve this. The sacrifices of the tabernacle could not achieve this, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ achieves it. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplishes eternal redemption. Look what it says in verse 14. Let me read 13 to you again because it's all one thought. He says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is a classic argument from lesser to greater. If the blood of a red heifer can cleanse your flesh, the blood of a cow, If the blood of a cow can cleanse your flesh, how much more can the blood of Jesus do? If the blood of a cow can clean you up on the outside, how much more will the blood of the very Son of God do? Infinitely more, right? We've got to say, we don't say, oh, the blood of a cow and the blood of Jesus, same, same. No, 
The blood of a cow can do one thing. The blood of a, of a son of God, the only son of God, can do infinitely more. The blood of a cow can clean you up on the outside. The blood of Jesus can clear your conscience deep on the inside. We're talking heart. We're talking soul work here. And that's what Jesus does. One scholar says, how can the blood of animals ever solve the problem of human sins? How can the blood of an animal solve the problem of a human sin? It can't. But the blood of the God-man can, the one who was like us in every way, tempted as we are in every way, yet without sin, his blood, his blood can solve the problem of human sins. John MacArthur says this interesting thing. Uh, I think it'll be on the board. He says the former priests, that's the Old Testament, Old Covenant guys, they cleaned up the outside. And even that only symbolically, imperfectly, and temporarily. I love that, I love that he takes a little shot there. They could clean up on the outside, but really all they were doing was temporary and symbolic anyway. He says, but Christ, and don't you love when sentences start like that? Like, you know, it's going to get good when it says, but Jesus, right? But Christ cleanses from the inside where the problem really is. He does more than cleanse the old man. He replaces it with a new man. Let me read that again, because that's great. He does more than cleanse the old man. He replaces it with a new man. He cleanses our conscience, but he recreates our person. In Christ, we are not cleaned up old creatures, but redeemed new creatures. That's who we are. We're not cleaned up old creatures. That's not the picture of baptism. When we put somebody in the water and we raise them back up, it's not a picture of us cleaning up the old man and bringing them out so that they'll be a cleaned up old man. That's not the picture at all. It's a picture of a brand new creature. The old man is gone. New things have come. Raised to walk in new life. That's what Jesus does for us. And listen, that's the gospel that we're trying to preach to you. That's what we want you to experience is not cleaned up old man. Church can do that. The church can clean up the old man. Only Jesus can make you a new man. And we want you to be a new man. And a new man will look like a clean man, by the way. The new man doesn't come up all dirty. He's brand new. But Jesus makes us a new man, does something that the law could never do. Notice in this text, this is good stuff, right? You get that, don't you? I hope it makes you smile. And if it doesn't make make you smile, I hope it makes you want that. I hope maybe something's going on in your heart that says, deep down, I know I'm dirty. Deep down, I know I'm, I'm a mess down inside, and I've tried to clean it up. I've tried to take a bath and wash some of this stuff off, but it's not working. I've tried following the rules. I've tried washing it away. I've tried drowning it in substances. I've tried all these things to get rid of this problem, and I can't. Right. You can't. But Jesus can. He give you a new heart. So turn to him today and receive this new life he promises as a gift. Notice the author's use of the word unblemished here. He says, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. When you read in the Old Testament about those sacrifices, it wasn't just any red cow. It, it wasn't just any goat. It wasn't just any lamb. It, it wasn't even just any pigeon that they brought to sacrifice to the Lord. These things had to be perfect, but their perfection was only physical, right? None of those animals had moral perfection. None of those animals had spiritual perfection. None of them were unblemished morally or spiritually. 
but Jesus is. Jesus was unblemished physically and spiritually and morally. His blood is better. His blood is better than the blood of goats and bulls. He was tempted in every way as we are, the author has already told us, but without sin. Notice also, this is the last thing of the day. Notice the purpose in all of this. Maybe maybe this is all old to you. Yeah, Jesus is better. Yeah, he makes us a new creature. Yeah, he provides for us eternal redemption. Yeah, his blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats. Maybe that's all new to you and you've already got this down and so that's why this doesn't get you going today. But maybe you haven't noticed what he says is the purpose of this eternal redemption. The purpose of his creating you into a new man. Look at it in the text. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? That's what we've been talking about. But look at this last phrase, to serve the living God. This gift you've been given of new life, this cleansing deep down in your conscience that you've been given, this new heart and new hope that you've been given has not been given to you so that you can just sit back and enjoy it. Sure, we need to enjoy it and we need to delight in it, but we need to recognize that God has saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him. He hasn't just saved you just to wash you. He has washed you to use you. He has raised you to life to employ you in his service. So our lives are about serving him. Not just about saying, look at the gift I've been given. No, he blesses you. This is the way he's always done it. He blesses you in order to be a blessing to others. He has saved you, if he saved you, to serve him. So you are insulting him if you don't serve him. If if the purpose of his saving you was that you would serve him, and you say, I'll take the salvation and pass on the service, you're insulting the one who gave you the gift. And maybe you haven't even received the gift. Maybe you haven't really seen the greatness of the gift, if you can say, mm, thanks, thanks for that salvation, and have no desire to serve him. So I want to I encourage you to serve. If you've been saved, serve. Look at verse 15. It's kind of a... Summary statement, transitions to next week. We'll look at it closely next week, but I want you to see it as a summary of what we've talked about today. It says, for this reason, that is the offering of his superior blood, his ability to bring about eternal redemption. For this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgression, which has always been the way it had to go, death had to take place in order for transgression to be Forgiven, this is a superior death that forgives in a better way. The redemption of the transgression that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Those who have been called receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Not temporary inheritance, not annual inheritance, eternal inheritance. That's where we'll we'll start next week. For application today, I want to tell you about a scene that I encountered the other day where a guy was just, just acting weird, inappropriate. And another guy said to him, what's your problem? Man, what's your problem? And I don't know, maybe it was because I was preparing for this sermon and, and getting ready to teach this lesson, but I thought, that's a great question. That is a great question that I want to ask to you. What's your problem? 
I mean, really, what do you see your problem being? Would you say, oh, my, my problem is my circumstance, Pastor Chris. I just, I grew up in a really hard home. My mom and dad didn't get along. In fact, they, le- they left. And I, I, my, my circumstance is my problem. And the reason why I, I do the things that I do and I am the way that I am is because of my circumstance. That's my problem. I think other folks would say, what's, what's my problem? Oh, my problem is this relationship. This relationship, you don't, you don't understand how she is or he is. And if it wasn't for him or her, I wouldn't be like this, and I wouldn't do these things. That goes way back to the beginning, by the way. That's what Adam said. That woman that you gave to me, God said, what's your problem? That woman, she's the problem. I want us to really think about what's our problem. Is it your circumstance? Do you see your problem as some kind of weakness? Maybe a character flaw? Do we see our problem as an illness? I, I, want, I want to propose to you today that all of those ways we often view our problem are superficial understandings of the problem. Those are like band-aid version understandings of our problem. What's your problem? It's not your circumstance. Your problem is not your personality, your character, flaws, Your problem is not your relationship. Your problem is not an illness. Your problem and my problem and the problem of every person on this planet is their heart. Deep down sinfulness. Not just sinning on the outside. Not just behavior problems. Those are just the symptoms of a much larger problem that is a rotten, dead, defiled, dirty heart. That's your problem. And that's your neighbor's problem. So when we look at our neighbors and we look at the nations, we don't need to say, oh, man, if we could just fix their circumstance. Oh, if we could just fix their relationship. Oh, if we could just psychologically help them to overcome this character flaw or this illness. Man, then they'd they'd live right. They'd be delivered. No, no, no. We need to look at everyone around us and ourselves and say our problem goes way deep down. And the only thing we could possibly offer to solve that problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the kind of second question. First question is, what's your problem? Your problem is sinfulness. Not just sin, sinning, but sinfulness. Deep down inside, your heart is wicked. So what's the solution to that problem? Jesus, only Jesus. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ solves this problem. Only he can take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Only he can cleanse your conscience from defilement. Only he can give you new life. Only he can say, the old is gone, new has come. That's the way that verse goes, you know. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. If any man is in Christ. Not just if any man comes to church, if any man gives some money, if any man gets baptized. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's the only one that can make you new, so I want to invite you to him. I want to invite you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ for new life. A new heart, new hope, radical cleansing, a whole new day. I want to invite you to turn and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation today. And if you're trusting in him and you're a new creature, I want to say two things to you. Celebrate that. Celebrate what he has done in your life. You were dirty and he cleaned you. You were dead and he raised you. You were blind and he gave you sight. 
He has done that for you. So smile a bit. Rejoice in this wonderful new life you've been given. And secondly, serve him with it. He saved you for that purpose. We see this. This is not isolated to Hebrews chapter 9. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. This is in the Gospels. This is everywhere we see God bringing people to life. He brings them to life in order to use them for his kingdom. So if you've been brought to life, serve him. Stop sitting there and do something. Let's stand together and pray. God, we pray that you will help us to see with clarity what our problem is today. We deceive ourselves, the world deceives us, Satan tries to deceive us into seeing some other thing as our problem. So we pray, we invite, we beg you to help us to see what is our problem. Help us to see dead hearts, dirty hearts, defiled hearts, depraved hearts. Help us to see with reality what the problem is and... We pray that you will open our blind eyes to see what the only solution is. That Jesus came to take our sins and to take them away. That Jesus came to give us new life and new heart and new hope. God, we pray that as your people, you help us to rejoice over the grace we've been given and you help us to serve in response to that grace. And for men and women and boys and girls in this room today who are still dead, still lost and hopeless, God, I pray that you cleanse them today. Show them their sin. Show them the reality of your judgment and turn their eyes to Jesus. Let them see him dying in their place. Give them faith to believe trust in Christ and give them repentance to turn away from sins and use them. Use them for your kingdom's sake the rest of their days. In Christ's name we pray.